I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much product was being sourced overseas and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that were still making in Britain. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in the UK, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be telling the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and manufacturers and offering advice to those that want to make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 33 of the Make It British podcast. Today I am pretty excited because I am interviewing Andy Ogden from English Fine Cottons. And three years ago, Andy and two of his colleagues, Brendan McCormack and Stephen Shaughnessy, set up the UK's only commercial cotton spinning mill after an absence of several decades of cotton spinning in the UK. They're based on the outskirts of Greater Manchester, which you'll probably know is home of cotton spinning and also where the Industrial Revolution began. How did this all come about? Well, English Fine Cottons actually have a parent company called Colometer Safeguard, who have been spinning technical fibres for over 20 years using an original cotton spinning frame. So they knew quite a bit about spinning before they embarked on their very ambitious multi-million pound project, which is what Andy's going to be talking about today. Now, this episode was recorded in Tower Mill, the home of English Vine Cottons, in Duncanfield, Greater Manchester. And Andy gave me a fantastic tour around the mill. And although we did record the interview in a quiet room away from the spinning, you can still hear the faint hum of the spinning frames in the background. But before we get on to the interview, here's a little part of my tour around the mill when Andy explains some of the technology that goes into the ultra-advanced way the English fine cottons are spinning their yarn. Right, so it's 36 air changes an hour in our spinning room. So the temperature's kept at a consistent level. The, relative, the humidity is kept at the same level. So the air is changed to take out any fibre from the air, clean the fibre, bring in fresh air if it's needed, bring in cooling air if it's needed, and to keep this level humidity to keep the spinning at the most optimum problem. Oh, bloody hell, it's hot in there, isn't it? So it's 28, 28 degrees and 52% humidity now. Yeah, it's mad. And I've got to say, I'm glad that you haven't broken the door. So it's been three years now, every time, or two, over two years now, every time I take somebody in there, without me saying it, they go, wow. Thank you for my little tour around the mill, Andy. No problem. Really quite... very well, Good quite to welcome you after three years. I know. Well, last time I came, it was a building site. Yeah, it was a shell. Uh, I think we'd made one, one room that was, is now the canteen, just to show all of our new employees what, what the uh, renovated building was going to look like. And now we're in full production 24-7. I know, it's amazing. And you've still got, what, 50% of the space you could still go into? Yeah, on our spinning floor, uh, 50% of the area, so we can double our capacity on, on the areas that, that, that we've now populated. And we've still got one whole floor that we're looking to um, 
really expand into whether that be expanding into fabrics or whether it be in, 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 into some other textile ventures. And we'll come on to that in a bit. Shall we wind back? Wind back, very good. Very, yeah, let's wind back to when you came to my event, because of course I'm going to mention that. Yeah. Made in Britain starts here. Absolutely. Started at Meet the Manufacturer in 2015, didn't it? It, it, it did, along with a few gins. Uh, <laughs> did you want to a, 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 give a summary of the story? How did English Fine Cottons come about? So a, a little before um, coming down to see the, the crusade that you've set up, I suppose, is that we are, as a part of our larger technical textiles business, the last short staple spinner of yarn in the UK. So what that basically means is that we take short staple materials and spin them into yarn. And in this case, we make high performance safety yarn that goes into safety gloves and personal protective equipment. Um, and as a part of that, we realized that we needed to invest in that business. We've got 65, 70 dedicated staff in that, that area that, that are doing a fantastic job and we really need to give them sustainability and, 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 and a future to look forward to. We needed to invest in equipment, we needed to invest in the future. And one of our other uh, textile technologists, an 80-year-old gentleman actually, came to us and said, you know, I've got an idea that you know, Barbados and Sea Island cotton um, isn't really being utilised and Barbados want to increase the crop and, they, and, and it really is the cream, this. I mean, you, we're selling shirts at 400, 500 pounds for a shirt of Sea Island cotton. So, so we, we, we looked into it and it seemed that, that on the premium end of the luxury market, quality was needed uh, and, and truthful transparency and honesty of the supply chain was needed. So we said, well, we've got the capability. We've got a new mill. We seem to have some financial backing from our local authorities. Uh, every, every part was in, in place. But is this, is this change about UK manufacturer really going to happen? Are there people that believe it? Or is it just a nice thing to say over a middle-class dinner table so, so, somewhere? Um, so myself, uh, but more importantly, uh, our two UK-based investors, Steve and Brendan, uh, came down to, well, it was Meet the Manufacturer at the it's time. It's called Meet the Manufacturer then. Yeah, I think it was our second year, wasn't it, 2015? Yeah. To, to, to see, you know, to see the diversity of, of, of the manufacturers. I mean, we saw a few customers. We saw, you know, weavers in the UK that have subsequently become our partners in making shirt materials or in, in, in making outerwear fabrics, uh, in making socks. Um, but we also saw the we saw some brands. We saw some of the high street retailers coming around and actually looking and and and, and really engaging with what the possibility is with the UK. So I, I, as a trial we had a couple of gins and we we, we we sat down and we said, okay, actually, it's really incumbent to us to actually do this because if we don't look seriously at, at what we can do in this area and it closes as a business, that will be a whole foundation of cotton spinning or short staple spinning that will be lost to the UK. And to set something up from scratch is multi-million pound business and you need the skill sets and we have the skill sets. So if we were going to lose them, who else is ever going to bring it back? So I will say, Kate, it was probably one of the determining factors where, well, I know where we were. We, we were next to the Thames where, where the guys would just finished a drink and we'd shook hands and said, right, come on, let's do it then. And, uh, and, and that was the start of English Van Cons. Oh, was it? What, at the Thames outside the event then? It, well, no, it was a bit later on in the oh, evening. Oh, you wandered after, down yeah, after I, our I, official drinks. I, I, after, 
after a nice meal and a couple of more a couple of more uh, sherbets later we, uh, we, we we said are we going to do this then yeah fine we're going to do that and, and shook hands uh, it wasn't called English fine cottons at the time um, primarily because you know we were looking at something everybody knows Lancashire as the, as the place for um, for cotton spinning well we're 15 yards from Lancashire with the wrong side of the River Tame. Well, they know Manchester as, as the centre of Cottonopolis, that's what Manchester was called. Well, we're seven miles outside Manchester. Not many people know Cheshire, so we can't be called Cheshire English fine, uh, Cheshire fine cottons. So English fine cottons came about primarily because of the honesty. You know, we're based in England and we make fine cotton and uh, we want to always be representative of, uh, of what we're saying. So that was 2015, and the plan then was to use Barbadian cotton. Yeah. But you don't now, do you? You've now used... Yeah, and, and, and we've learned a few things along the track. At, at the time where we, where we really said we were going to do this, it was a perception or, or, or an offer to have approximately 400 to 500 tonnes of Bayesian Sea Island cotton. The truth of the matter is that, is that there's generally between five and 10 tonnes of Bayesian Sea Island cotton grown each year. Um, and that's not big enough or sustainable enough or high enough quality to actually have a sustainable spinning business. Um, but at that point, we'd actually engage with a number of the high street retailers. We'd engage with a lot of the manufacturing brands in the UK. And we'd engage with um, some of the people that were looking to to bring about new change and about the UK manufacturing. And everybody seemed to want this uh, foundation of raw material, as long as it did what, what we said on the tin, as long as it actually delivered what they were looking for, which was a high quality product at a reasonable price, on time, and to the volume that they wanted, rather than having to buy too much, or without having to air freight it, or without, without it being difficult to trade with. So we went out and said, right, okay, if we can't use Sea Island cotton, where is, is there a product that we can use? And, and, and we got to find a really terrible story, if I'm being honest, uh, about the cotton trade, that the cotton trade was murky. <laughs> you know, people tended to trade on, on buying product and then mixing it together, or as one trader once phoned me up from Jimmy and said, you want to buy some cotton from there and then you want to cut it with another like source. Like cocaine. Absolutely. <laughs> so and, you're likening the cotton industry, isn't that it, 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 dodgy? It, at not that, far off. At that point, I honestly thought that he was using the terminology because English was his, his second language and, and he didn't know the connotations. After the third or fourth trader that had used the same terminology, I started to realise that this was exactly the case. And we started to dig a bit further. We started to actually started to realise that there was a lot of international issues where, where big toweling retailers in America had realised that their Giza cotton towels, their Egyptian cotton towels, weren't Egyptian cotton. Couldn't be. Factually, there wasn't enough Egyptian cotton grown that year for it to be. So somewhere along the supply chain, somebody had cheated. Someone had cut it. Somebody had cut it, yeah. Somebody, <laughs> so, somebody had blended in a poor fibre. So where do you get your cotton from now? So as a part of that, we realised that we couldn't follow the crowd. We couldn't just buy from international traders. We couldn't buy from 
international houses that, that, that went out and, and sourced. We needed to go and source our own. Uh, we needed to have a relationship directly with the farm themselves, understand their working practices, understand their ethics, understand their morality, understand their sustainability, and more importantly, make sure that the product is of high quality as well. Um, so we were introduced quite quickly to the Supima family uh, of, uh, of cotton lint, and Supima is the American trade name for the Pima cotton that's grown in America. Uh, and we were introduced to um, probably their most reputable farm, a, a farm called J.G. Boswell, based in California. Um, and we spent a really hard time of my life going to California and seeing the farm. Tough life. <laughs> um, I think Barbados would have been better. And that was difficult as well. I'm, I'm not quite sure which was the hardest this business was your trip research, that we did. Like yeah, research, research. There's nothing wrong with research. <laughs> but, but, you know, more research, the better. Um, but we spent a lot of time with the farm, understanding what, how, how they work, understanding what their uh, sustainability characteristic is understanding their argument because they're not an organic farm, for example. I was going to ask you that, and I know that's a question you get asked, is why not organic, why is English fine cotton not using organic cotton? And, and the truthful fact is, is because at the moment we haven't found a farm that we can engage with, that we can have a relationship with, that, that actually ticks all the uh, boxes that we want. Because as soon as we find that farm that, that actually grows organic cotton, uh, and that does it in an ethical, sustainable and moral way and that we're comfortable with, uh, we will introduce organic cotton with inside our product mix. But at the present moment, we haven't been able to find that partner. But going back to JG Boswell, what we actually found is that whilst they weren't organic, the way that they utilised water, the way that they utilised pesticide and, and the chemical was e extremely sensitive to not only the environment, and because it's also regulated by the EPA in California, but also because they believe in the sustainability of the environment. They, they want a cotton farm to continue for the next 200, 300 years, and they realize that you know, they've only got one, one farm and one field and, and, one, and one area to, to, in which to grow cotton. So you sourced your cotton, and then you bought your machines, which cost millions by the looks of things, because yeah. they're pretty amazing. So that was an interesting phase. We looked at uh, Chinese manufactured machinery, we looked at Indian manufactured machinery, as well as developing relationships with German branded machinery uh, and uh, Austrian branded machinery. Because th th there, was a, there was a perception, once again, that the big brand owners of, of Europe were going to be too expensive to return the investment. Uh, and and in, in all honesty, what we've paid for the machinery is I'm going to say probably 50% of what the original quote was. The original quote was so high that it just wasn't feasible to buy at that price. But actually what we did is we tested the Asian manufacturing machine and we, we actually found that the world of textile and yarn manufacture really is going in that direction. You know, there are more Indian spinning mills buying Indian equipment now than they're buying European. There are more Chinese spinning mills buying Chinese equipment than there are buying European. Uh, and they're a very competitive price. And the good thing about that is that being a competitive price, you can buy volume and you can buy the capacity and, 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 and you can buy the efficiency that, that comes with that. And we realized that the new modern equipment was at least, I'm going to say five times, if not close to 10 times more efficient than the equipment that we had that we were spinning here in the UK that was 
built in the 1970s. So that's one of the reasons you can afford to do this because it's more efficient. Yeah, I, I, I like to change the syntax a little bit on that, um, that we can afford to do that. Actually, without this efficiency, nobody could do that because the labour cost would be too high. So it, it's an interesting connotation to say that as English fine cottons that's spinning approaching 500 tonnes of yarn a year now uh, with, with round about 45, 50 staff, well, how many staff would that have been in 1970? Well, it would have been probably 200, 220, perhaps. Really? So where we were yeah. there on that one floor of the mill and there was, what, three people Three there? people. Three very hot-looking people because it was 30 nice degrees. <laughs> it's like Barbados in there. There would have been 200 equivalent. Well, I, on that floor, there would definitely have been in excess of 20. And, and remembering, Kate, that we're now spinning 24 hours, seven days a week. So you saw three people that's on one shift and we've got three shifts a day and we've got seven days... We, we, uh, to run so they've always got three people on the shift now if you had 20 people on the shift and then they were running that length of time that's where you very very quickly grow up to you know 200 200 people easily so you spun the cotton you've got the machines you've spun your cotton um who which customers is it going to so far who's who's shown the biggest interest <laughs> in because i know you obviously took a Complete punt on this, didn't you? With your, you know, you knew that there was a feeling out there from coming to my event that people wanted to start making in the UK more. Um, how did you find the first customers for your yarn, and did this, did it, did it, the idea evolve? Because originally it was just going to be shirting weight and, yarn, and, wasn't it? And, and that's actually an interesting story because, as a part of our funding program, uh, we were introduced to a a government body that was run by Manchester um, uh, Authority called the Textile Growth Programme. And as a part of the Textile Growth Programme, they were funding businesses that were investing um, to help sustain and reshore jobs. And as a part of the Textile Growth Programme, they had a panel of experts that were sat behind the scenes, if you like, looking at the business plans, making sure that the business plans made sense and making sure that they actually meant something to the fund. Um, we got to, we get, got to find out that there was a, a representative of Burberry, there was a representative from M&S, there was a representative for Johnson's of Elgin, there was a representative from um, the Carrington Workwear Group, there were representatives uh, from, from different industry bodies. So we understood that at that point that, you know, whilst we weren't trading directly with these individual companies, they were engaged in our plan because they were involved in actually making sure that the business plan made sense. So that was one avenue. Secondly, we also did a lot of research. You know, we, we didn't only come to your ex exhibition and said, yeah, this is fantastic. This is, this is where we want to spend four million pounds or five million pounds <laughs> of our money. We went to um, a number of the manufacturers in the UK. We phoned a number of the manufacturers, particular, uh, particularly in the East Midlands. Um, particularly in fully fashioned knitwear, particularly in socks, and particularly in, in the Leicester single jersey market. Because cotton is synonymous with single jersey for t-shirts, you know, as a, as a good example. And very, very quickly we started to realise that, you know, there's, there's, at that point we knew of at least 35 to 40, and I believe now it's well over 100 knitting companies within inside Leicester that are all knitting single jersey. We didn't quite know that they were all knitting polyesters and, and viscoses, but you know, we, we understood that there was a hosiery requirement, if you like, with inside the UK. We were talking to fully fashioned knitting companies that, that were still buying 200, 300 tonnes of cotton into the UK every year. 
And as a part of that, we started to do our research to see how much knitted yarn was imported into the UK. And you can get that statistic from the National Statistics Authority. And what was that figure? Do you and, remember? And it was thousands, it was 20,000 tonnes of cotton. It was some, something unbelievably 20, large. Tons. And how much are you... How much are you? Hope, what's your plan? How much? How much are you doing? How much are you? Well, we're, we're, prob now? we're probably about five hundred tons of it, uh, at the present moment in the right. counts that we'd that be looking at. So, so we'd, we'd still be very, very yeah, small in comparison. A fraction, yeah. and and we did know of, and we still aren't trading with three of the largest cotton users in the UK today, primarily because the cotton yarn that we make isn't ideal for their application. That the, there are a number of. Uh, fabric manufacturers that make heavier weight twills or even denims and, and, and the yarn that we make is a bit too fine for those. There are a couple of um, manufacturers that make fine netting or voils or, or, or Arabian head shawls for example where they need a specific genus of cotton or it needs to be treated in a way which we can't do at the present moment. So there's still actually quite a big market to go out for, for, from where we're at the moment. But our business plan looked at two things. It looked at 75% of what we, what our capacity was going to be was going to sell, if you like, yarn. We were going to sell cotton yarn to cotton knitters and weavers or traders or users, and, and, and that would be predominantly based in the UK. And I've got to say that's been, that, that's been successful. Are there any brands that are already, <coughs> that people would... Would spring to mind that you're allowed to say that, yeah, because you're still at quite the early stages. How long have you been spinning for? Well, we've been spinning since October 2016. So we've been spinning a little over 18 months, if you like. And we're now, as I say, spinning 24-7, and they are going to those companies. Whilst we trade with partners, it's not, it's, it's not in my gift to be able to divulge uh, who we trade with, but shall we say, luxury manufacturers with inside the UK and high street retailers. If, if you think of the top four, we'll probably be trading with all, with all four of those. Excellent. Um, but so, you've got your own brand as well, haven't you? So the English Fine Cottons, you're strategically building up as your own brand. That follows in line with the business plan, um, or at least 25% of the business plan that we originally anticipated. We realized very early on that cotton is a foundation to quite a lot of the fabrics and quite a lot of the garments. And we conceitedly put one of our strap lines down that said, Reest 2016. Well, we weren't re-establishing a business. English fine cottons didn't ever exist. We were conceitedly trying to say, we're here to re-establish an industry. Perhaps not bring it back to its heyday, but actually say to the uh, to the weavers and the knitters and the garment makers, listen, the UK's back, we, you know, you can get this raw material now from the UK. Because actually in the UK, you can get absolutely fantastic worsted yarns from Huddersfield and the surrounding area. You can get absolutely fantastic British woolen yarns from Scotland and, and, and Yorkshire. But actually, cotton, which is where... The where Industrial Revolution, Revolution started, started, yeah. You know, we, we sat in Manchester being cottonopolis. There, there wasn't a capability of, uh, of making cotton product from cotton source from the UK. Um, so the idea about that is to say, right, we're here. Now in the 1950s or 1960s, maybe even the 1970s, no doubt we'd have a team of bowler-hatted, besuited gentlemen driving black rovers around the country and selling our wares. Well, that's not the case any longer. You know, we, we, there are only a number of manufacturers. 
and a lot of the manufacturers in the UK are commission manufacturers. They make on behest of a client, either a high street retailer or a specific customer or whatever it happens to be. So how do you generate that demand? Because what you are showing, Kate, and what, what is absolutely happening is that the consumer is demanding and starting to look at the label, starting to want a quality piece that's made locally and ethically, yeah. and that's a part of the community. So what we decided to do is very early on is spend money on English Fine Cottons as a brand. Actually have values, values that we believe that the consumer, that matters to the consumer, that absolutely matters to us about passion, about quality, about heritage, about provenance. So we started to say, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot. So we'll bring a classic range of products available. So we can actually say to the smaller brands, to the, to the startup companies, for, for, for example, yes, you can buy from the UK because we can provide you with a small minimum order quantity. We can be your scale. We can be your helper to get you started. Uh, we can make that product and stock it here and you can buy it in smaller quantities from us. So we went out and started to partner with the knitters, started to partner with weavers, started to partner with dyers, started to partner with finishers. And, and now we're at the point, 18 months further on, that we've got a, a classic range of jersey fabrics, a classic range of shirting materials, a classic range of outerwear fabrics for raincoats and the like, uh, a range of homeware fabrics for bed linen um, that brands can come to us and say, okay, I'd like to buy that classic product and I'll take it away and I'll add my USP to it, whether that's in print or design or whether that's in makeup or whatever it happens to be. So anyone can come to you and buy a length of cotton jersey. You're holding that in stock, in stock. are you? Yeah. So Amazing. everything from actual fact, you can buy a gift for your husband of a shirt length of, of shirt fabric that's gift wrapped, that you can take that length into a bespoke shirt tailor and have a made-to-measure shirt made out of that fabric. on my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that one in. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So you're, you, you've mentioned the weavers, the knitters. Um, I know at some point, obviously in that as well, you've got um, dyers and finishers. Hmm. What was the most tricky bit of getting that whole supply chain? Because you basically did. You say made in England starts here. You basically did bring the cotton supply chain back together again because it, it was so fragmented and there was, you know, weavers here and dyers there. So you have been one of the driving forces that started bringing that together. How tricky was that? Where were, where were the bottlenecks? Where were the issues? Uh, and I've, I've got to say some honesty about that is that even though it's fragmented, all these people do and still still did work with each other, they had to. You know, hopefully what we have done is we've brought some degree of um, belief that there's a future uh, uh, and a degree of faith and trust that, 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 it's, that, that it means something. And, and we have absolutely seen over the 18 months a, an improvement in quality, shall we say, uh, a capability that's improved. Uh, whether that's because the uh, dyers or the knitters or the finishers have, have reinvested in equipment or in processes or whatever it happens to be, or, or the fact that we're putting some volume through through uh, the factories is that the capability of the UK supply line has definitely improved uh, over that period of time. I have got to say, it's not been without its uh, its failings. You know, we, we, we've we've spent an awful lot of time and an awful lot of money developing fabrics that aren't quite to our brand standard. Maybe that they've been uh, manufactured and the stability 
we just can't get it right or we couldn't get it right using a specific partner or a specific finishing route. And we've had to search around to find uh, capable people and people that are willing to work at it and relearn the skills and, and relearn the, the art, if you like, of making high quality product. Um, and, and that obviously has its own cost implications, it has its own challenges. But we're now very proud of, uh, of the product that we have on the shelf that, 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 that's capable. And, and, it, and it's open and available to any UK manufacturer to, to go and buy one meter. And can they use the English Fine Cotton's logo and brand if they do, like well, you would, we would like for, for instance, by DuPont? Well, that, 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 that's an interesting um, question, primarily because is that with English Fine Cotton's, as I said, we invested everything into that not only financially, we invested our passion, we invested our values. That value is what we want to give to the consumer. So if it's got an English Fine Cotton's product, it's honest, it's transparent. We can absolutely show any consumer that product and trace it back into the field it was grown. That's brilliant. That's we, brilliant. we can show that. Now, if we give that brand to a third party manufacturer, we, the level of control that we need to show with that is very difficult because obviously we don't, we're not running their business. We, we, we have to make sure that uh, we understand the control of our brand. Uh, let me give you an example. In, in one of the earlier stages, uh, we were working with a, a, a specific knitting business um, uh, because we wanted to make sure that we developed a certain product. And, and looking through LinkedIn, um, I saw a picture of another knitting company uh, that we absolutely hadn't traded with. And in the background of a picture on, the, on LinkedIn was an English fan cotton's box. So all of a sudden it's, hmm, how did that box get there? How do, we, how do we know that's right? And subsequent investigations and conversations, we got to find out that, that the knitting partner that we were looking at at that stage had actually subcontracted the work. Now we didn't know whether that subcontracting manufacturing was the right thing. So actually to put a brand on that and to assure that it's not to our brand standard. So unfortunately we, we, we're having to use uh, other, other partners which are 100% transparent and follow our brand standard so we can assure our, our customer and our client that when they buy it with an English Fine Cotton's product, it will last, it's high quality and it will have value and it will have our values uh, attached to it. You've obviously spent a fortune where you've mentioned millions. How many years before you get a return on investment on all this? Well, we've spent well in excess of £6.8 million pounds, um, uh, on the launch of English Fine Cons and the development of Colour Meter Safeguard as a business. Some of that money is about the redevelopment of Tower Mill, a Grade 2 listed building. Yeah, you feel like the actual just the restoration of the building must have cost you it's, a fair penny. It, 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 everything from the taps to the windows to the paint on the walls to the power to the electricity, everything seems to be a never-ending uh, never story of cost. However, we're doing that for, for a reason. We're doing that because we believe in, in, in the future. Question there, though. You, 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 know, you mentioned the cost of restoring the listed building to put the mill in. Why not just build an aircraft hangar on an industrial yeah. piece of wasteland rather than restore an original cotton mill? And, and, and there's two stories to that. Uh, the first story is we're based um, five miles outside the centre of Manchester, one mile outside the Manchester motorway ring room. 
So to actually buy a crinkly tin shed, if you like, in this vicinity is a, a, a phenomenal amount of money. Uh, to, to be able to, to get a 130,000 square feet, which is the, the, the uh, square footage that we've got within Side Tower Mill, would cost 10, 15 million pounds in the building alone to, to do that. So renovating a mill makes financial sense, actually. Um, secondly, is that Colour Meter Safeguard, the mill that Colour Meter Safeguard belong in, and the staff and the community that we're a part of is 25 metres away. You know, the management team is one management team, the supervisory team is one supervisory team, the skill sets is one skill set. So the community that we're at and, and the capability and the flexibility that we've got is actually measurable in terms of the, the, the value that, that that adds. Um, I think there's a third reason there though, it, because you've got the photograph of the mill and it's very iconic. It's all part of your story, isn't it? It wouldn't be the same course. story if you hadn't restored this mill and used your iconic tower mill um, pictures, which have been, I mean, I seem to have seen them all over social media. It's, it, it continues the telling of the English fine cotton story, doesn't it, and bringing cotton spinning back to and, the greater Manchester area. And, 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 and of course, there is a heritage and, and a provenance piece about that. It, it, it does matter that the mill was built in 1870s and spun cotton until 1953, and then we've brought that back. And it, and it means something to to people that were a part of the industry. But truthfully, that's an added value. That's something else that, that, that the customer and, and, uh, and we can be proud of, that we're bringing back that heritage, of course. But that's not the reason to, to run a viable, sustainable business. Running a viable, a sustainable business requires skilled staff, capable staff, in a productive environment that allows you to make profit. Because that's what we're here to do. Now, doing that in a crinkly tin shed would probably be slightly more profitable if the shed was for free, but it isn't. It's, mm. it's far more expensive to actually build um, in this location, and we need to be in this location because of the key to it is the staff that we've got. So it's a good amalgamation of the community, the capable staff, and a mill that gives us 130,000 square feet right next door to our other factory. Those are the business reasons, the added values of the fact that we've got a fantastic mill, we can show heritage, we have regular open days where we're showing, if you like, the old to the new. This, you know, A lot of people used to do um, spinning when they were in the 60s or, or, or even in the 50s in some circumstances, and we're taking them right up to the modern day to show them the modern equipment. We've, got, we've had well in excess of a thousand people around our open days, and that that degree of openness to the community does add value. I do, everything you're sort of saying here, it, it all does come back to storytelling and heritage and sort of being really transparent about what you do. Um, what are the plans? What's the next chapter of the story, Andy? Well, so some of the products that we've developed um, of late have got a resonance with inside the consumer. There's a number of people that are actually looking for a, a product that they can put their finger on that they know exactly where it's come from. And I mean exactly where it's come from, through its whole life. They know where it was grown, who spun it, the name of the person that sold it, the, and, the, and they want to have that value. And what we're going to do with that is that we're going to bring them that product under an English Fine Cotton's brand that doesn't step on any of our partners' toes, doesn't 
doesn't recreate what our partners and, and uh, customers and, and suppliers and, and, and subcontractors do, but it adds a value to that. So we can we can customize a product specifically to one individual. So whether that actually happens to be English fine cottons socks or whether that be English fine cotton shirts that are manufactured 100% in the UK. So the cotton's spun in the UK, it's woven in Burnley, it's finished in Rochdale, it's put together and made into a fantastic bespoke uh, shirt in the UK. Even the buttons are manufactured in the UK. Everything about it is UK. Um, and perhaps they don't have the budget to um, have that bespoke manufactured and tailored to themselves. They just want an off, an off the peg. So they can buy that product from ourselves because we'll work in partnership with all of our partners and we'll stock it and they'll be able to buy that through, through our website and through our um, mill shop. And we, in, we intend to not, not just stop at shirts, perhaps move into other avenues where our, where our current partners are, uh, aren't residing at the present moment. So where can, everyone, where can anyone find this at the moment or is it not available yet? It's, they want to buy any of your products or anything with English Fine Cotton's yarn in. Well, English Fine Cotton's shirts, made-to-measure shirts, have been available now for the last 12 months on the Marks & Spencer made-to-measure website. Uh, if you log on to Marks & Spencer into menswear and look for made-to-measure, you'll be able to have a pull-down menu that says that these fabrics are manufactured by English Fine Cotton's, and that's been available for the last 12 months. Um, there's a number of other uh, areas where English fine cotton product can be purchased. There's, in particular, T-shirts. There's a, a number of T-shirt brands that are quite open about that they've got a UK source, that it's spun in the UK, it, it tends to be knitted in the Leicester region and then finished and, and made up in either Leicester or Blackburn or whatever. And, and there's quite a number of those. Uh, we've got quite a few uh, T-shirt partners in the marketplace. Um, so if you look for that product, one of, one of the good places to look is actually our website because we're proud of our partners. So regularly we'll put on our blog that one partner or another has launched a new product and, and perhaps we do a video of their manufacturing process and perhaps we do a video of them ma making that product together. And as a part of that package, once new products come on stream, whether that's directly from ourselves or whether it's through one of our partners, that'll be announced in the website. Right, well, I'll put the link to the website in the show notes for the podcast. One final question is export. How You've mentioned supplying local people um, or local businesses, local manufacturers, local partners. How much of your yarn are you exporting? I know you export a lot of the Calamita Safeguard. As yarn. far as the Calamita Safeguard technical textiles business, uh, before English Fine Cottons came about, either directly or through one of our UK customers, 98% of what we did was exported and, and quite a, um, a substantial proportion of that was actually exported to Asia. Um, so we're not scared of export. We, we probably export, I think, to about 35 com countries the, the, the last time that we looked at it. In terms of English fine cottons, I've got to say that our focus is UK. Is it really? Um, okay. Whilst we're not turning people down and we're not turning people away and we have sold yarn into Germany and we have sold yarn into Italy and, and we have sold shirting fabrics into Singapore, for example, really we are made in Britain starts here. Yeah. We, 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 we believe in 
the crusade about bringing it home. We believe in the uniqueness of UK manufacturing. We believe in the quality of the UK manufacturing routes. We believe that the consumer's looking for that. So I don't turn a, I don't turn a sale away if we, if we think that, 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 it's, that it's right for the business. But 90% of what we do from English fine cottons is, is, is really looking for a source in the UK. You are a properly, truly British business then, aren't you? We believe so. Um, we're certainly based in Manchester, that's for a start. <laughs> it took me six and a half hours to get here. <laughs> thank you very much for today, Andy. Thank you for the tour of the mill. I'm going to put some photographs on the website that's linked to the show notes for this podcast so people can see um, your mill. It's amazing. Um, and you do you do open days, did you say? If people want to come and have a look around, when can... Yeah, Can anyone come? Uh, and, and the open days are open to the public, and we'll probably do around about four or five of those through the year. But any industry specialist is that we, we, we do more open days for industries. So whether that be universities with textile degree students, we, uh, we, we invite them around to show them the, actually how people spin and, yeah. and, and what spinning processes are, or anybody that's involved with the industry, we're more than happy to, to show them around and show them the transparency and the openness and what actually is possible in the UK. Yeah, because I've been working in fashion textiles for too many years, and first time I've been in a cotton spinning mill. Amazing. You need to come more often. I'm definitely going to come back again. Thank you very much. Thanks. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. The next event is taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London. With over 200 exhibitors, inspiring talks just like the ones you've been listening to on this podcast and interactive workshops, it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive again. Registration is now open. Just go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register to register for a free ticket. If you're a British-made manufacturer or brand and want to find out how your business can benefit from being involved in the show, just visit makeitbritishlive.com forward slash exhibit, fill out a short questionnaire, and one of my team will get straight back to you. To reach out to me personally, the best place to do this is via LinkedIn. Just look up Kate Hills and you'll find me. You'll also find me on Twitter at Make It British and Instagram at Make It British too. For all show notes for these podcasts, just go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash podcast and you'll find all the details. And make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing in iTunes, Stitcher or whichever is your preferred podcast app. And I really would love it if you left me a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye.